Let's spell a song so you can sing along with my special guest star too. For two, you like to sing and dance, and this podcast by chance explores musicals for you. everyone welcome back to another episode of life's but a song a podcast that likes to live in the land of musicals i'm your host john and with me today is a returning guest he was on the episode shock treatment and is still the curator of cult musicals it's james reese everyone Woo! howdy howdy hi uh and <laughs> james when i inter- when i brought this to your attention you know of you being a guest you're like we gotta do shock treatment and whorehouse and i was like great because you were saying that you're like a dolly expert a dolly parton expert i don't want to say a dolly parton expert yet but i'm a massive dolly parton fan and i'm actually doing my phd on dolly parton oh i mean i I would say you are more the expert here today (laughs) (laughs) so i made a joke and i know dolly would appreciate it when i finish my phd i'll be a double d a doctor and dolly (laughs) god i hope she's listening to this episode because we're we're talking about the best little whorehouse in texas the 1982 i'm gonna say classic like i don't know i don't know it's 40 it's 40 years old this year Mm -hmm. yep um uh so the screenplay is by larry l king peter masterson and colin higgins music and lyrics for the most part by carol hall uh, directed by Colin Higgins, and according to IMDb, a town's sheriff and regular patron of a historical whorehouse fights to keep it running when a television reporter targets it as the devil's playhouse. Now, I didn't realize the show came out first. I thought this yes. was one of those, you know, how like uh, current yeah, yeah. theater is turning movies into musicals. I thought like Moulin Rouge, yeah. Yes, yes. Or like Mean Girls, where they're adding music into right. it. I didn't know that this was a musical movie to begin with. Yes, it was. No, this was not a musical movie to begin with. This was a stage musical to begin with. Yeah. Um, yeah. Pre- it premiered off-Broadway in April 1978, and it moved to Broadway in June the same year, winning two Tony Awards for Best Featured Actor and Actress in a Musical. Um, have you seen the stage version? I've seen clips of it and I know of it, but um, we can get into this later, but the stage musical is completely different than the film. Yeah, I read that- uh, It bears no similarities basically at all. Besides like the basic premise. No, the premise is different as well. Um, there, you know, There's a whorehouse and there's a sensationalist person, but in terms of really the two main characters, it's a completely different story and we can get into why it's different later. Uh, well, let's get into it now since you brought it up. Um, okay. I, I so read. Little har- Go ahead. I was gonna say I read that when Dolly Parton, because I'm assuming Dolly was cast first before Britt Reynolds, or was um, it was cast- around the same time. No. So anyway, the the musical is based on a real life whorehouse, which I'm sure I don't know if you're aware of. This really happened. Um, yes. The Chicken Ranch. So yes, but it, it, I think the only reason the whorehouse closed is because something to do with taxes, um, because, you know, in certain parts of the states, you know, brothels are still legal. 
So I'm not quite sure why the chicken ranch uh, originally closed, but it was um, after an expose, but I think it had something to do with money and taxes versus morality. And Playboy um, did an article about it. And, uh, you know, some, some musical writers were like, why don't we turn this Playboy article into a stage musical and of course name it the best little whorehouse in Texas. So it became really, really popular on stage. And as that, you know, what often happens is that Hollywood adapts state, which has always happened. Hollywood adapts stage musicals into big budget musical films. They were originally just going to update it straight to the, you know, they're going to keep the original premise and original plot, et cetera. And Willie Nelson was in talks, Barbara Mandrell, and a few other country stars and country singers of the day were involved with early production. Wow. Um, yeah. So they were just going to keep it cut and dry. So Colin Higgins, actually the director, came on board before, I mean, after some events. But Colin Higgins, of course, directed Dolly Parton in her first film, 9 to 5. Well, 9 ah. to 5, yeah, 9 to 5 was a massive hit. And so it cemented Dolly as a legitimate, serious actress. Because Dolly actually had been offered... I'm sorry if it's windy. I'm in London and the wind's pretty bad today. Oh, it's okay. <laughs> okay, so um, so it cemented Dolly as a serious actress. Now, Dolly had been offered many, many film roles before 9 to 5, but she didn't want to take them because... Dolly said that she only wanted to play a character where she could basically be playing herself because she didn't even want to lose. She didn't want to lose the Dolly brand or Dolly image, even when she was playing a fictional character. So when nine to five became a massive hit, producers were like, why don't we get Dolly Parton? And that changed the trajectory of the film. Burt Reynolds signed on because of course he was big because of Smokey and the Bandit, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But Dolly Parton was cast and then she chose Colin Higgins, who directed her 9 to 5. Well, when Dolly Parton was cast, the plot was changed because she said, if I'm going to do a movie with Burt Reynolds, I want it to be a romance. And if I'm going to play a whorehouse, madam, I want to be glamorous and over the top like Mae West. So, um, of course, with Dolly being cast, uh, it, the plot changed and Dolly added additional music, Yes, as we can see. So yeah. Dolly Parton being cast, actually, I don't know if you want to get into this now or later, actually, believe it or not, caused lots of controversy. Really? On several fronts. On several fronts, yes. The first controversy was Dolly's fans, um, even though Dolly has a diverse fan base, at the time in the early 80s, a lot of Dolly's fan base were conservatives, of course. And, you know, country music back in the day used to be quite conservative. So um, Dolly was aware that her being cast as a, a whorehouse madam might be controversial to her fans. And so, but Dolly Parton sort of in her interviews about the best little whorehouse in Texas said that she saw it as a story about life. And she compared Miss Mona, her character to Mary Magdalene, how, um, you know, Christ considered her to be the most faithful and most loyal disciple. So that's how she eased sort of issues that fans might have with her playing a whorehouse madam the second issue that dolly parton talks about in her autobiography is that filming of the best little whorehouse in texas even though it's a great film and it was a massive massive success is actually the most um in terms of box office receipts 
it's the most um, profitable 80s musical. Oh. So the most, yeah. I mean, I can, and honestly, honestly, I can see that because like, um, I know that we're set in a whorehouse, but like, it's very tasteful in a way like well it's because it was dolly parton and burt reynolds that's why it was so successful but i mean i mean like the the costuming of the women in the whorehouse like they're um they're not like you know i mean they're half naked but like they're always covered they're not like they're not exposing their breasts all the time um they are mostly in like hanging out in loungewear it seems like when they're not actively having sex, I should say. Uh, but, but anyway, like, um, yeah. the film caused lots of controversy because um, Dolly Parton said it was one of the worst uh, worst experiences she ever had. And um, yes, uh, she said that, you know, she loves it as a film and she, you know, she uh, embraces its camp and cult, you know, classic um, title but she actually had a horrific time making the best little whorehouse in Texas. She hated it um, because when Dolly Parton was brought on, the studio Universal gave her a lot of creative freedom and Dolly wasn't used to so much creative freedom and directors got fired because they, you know, they sort of set Dolly up by asking who Dolly wanted to direct. And she was like, well, the only director I've ever dealt with was Colin Higgins. Well, the original writers of the musical got fired from the film they were supposed to direct in Colin Higgins. And so there was some bad blood there, but also Dolly was having some female problems that eventually led to a partial hysterectomy during that period. So she said her hormones were really out of whack and Burt Reynolds had just broken up with Sally, or Sally Fields had just broken up with Burt Reynolds. And so he was super depressed on the film. So she said, you know, it says a lot about the actors, but Dolly Parton and Burt Reynolds actually had, one of the worst times of their lives filming the movie because there was so much personal turmoil, turmoil going on. But because of their performances and because of how wonderful the film is, you don't see that pain coming through the film. I mean, but this yeah, is um, new news yeah. to me. <laughs> like I could, they look, they are so professional in this movie that like yeah. you yeah. can't see any of that. And Dolly and Bert, of course, um, remain friends up until Bert's death. And Bert attended the opening of Dollywood and they did other specials together, but they, um, Dolly hated working on the film. She said it was one of the worst. I mean, I don't know if you want to go into detail, but Dolly says if working on nine to five was a first love, the best little whorehouse in Texas was a rape. So in her autobiography, um, but she still, she has come around to accept the film she loves the film and she's proud of the film, but it was just made in, and it was in a production during a really, really bad time in her and Burt Reynolds's life. But the, the audience and public didn't know what they were going through until both right. of their autobiographies came out because it was a massive success. Wow. I mean, mm-hmm. I, and like Dolly Parton, voice of an angel. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. And she wrote, okay, so technically she wrote three songs for the movie, but only two are in like all the films. Uh, the one that is usually cut is called Where Stallions Run. Yeah. Do you, have you ever, do you have a copy oh, yes. of that? Oh yes, I do. Because I read she... it's, it's, a, it's a duet between her and, Do- uh, between her and Bert, right? No. 
so she wrote uh, quite a few songs called Down at the Chicken Ranch, which is in the trailer for the Best Little Horse in Texas. She wrote Sneaking Around, which is a duet between her and Burt Reynolds. She yes. wrote one called A Cowboy's Ways. That was for uh, her to sing. She wrote, uh, no, she wrote a song called a, a, a Gamble Either Way, which she was supposed to sing in the film. And then she wrote a song called uh, Ristallion's Run for Burt Reynolds. And uh, I don't know why so many, there's really poor choices on in terms of Colin Higgins as a director. Um, that, I think this is the second film he did and the last film he ever directed. Unfortunately, he died of AIDS not too long after The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas was released. But for the, whatever the re- weird reason, actually a lot of songs and a lot of scenes were cut from the film. And a lot of fans are petitioning for a director's cut because there's actually lots of, lots of songs cut from the film yeah um yeah there's uh from the stage version there's like seven songs i believe that are cut and yeah, like they didn't two record whole all of those right yeah because one of the one of the songs is called dotsy may and that's a character that is not in this movie she is in the movie that is uh that is the lady who owns a diner that burt reynolds is involved with but he doesn't love her in the same way See, I didn't catch her name. <laughs> that was my, also, that was on um, me. <laughs> but also, so anyway, uh, the film, of course, is R-rated. And it's not really racy in terms of today's standards. But when they started, you know, back in the day, films went to TV quite quickly. So when the Best Little Whorehouse in Texas got distribution rights for television, the film was considered so racy in terms of some of the nudity and some of the scenes that the runtime was actually too short. So what they did is actually put the song where stallions run back into the TV airings, but it's only aired like a couple of times, but you can see the clip on YouTube of Burt Reynolds singing where stallions run, where stallions run. Uh. Dolly Parton actually, actually Dolly Parton re, uh, recorded and re-released some songs and she changed where stallions run to a song called a cowboy's way. And she actually recorded a gamble either way. Both of those songs are on her Burlap and Satin album. And Ooh. I believe it's where Stallions Run, she actually tweaked the lyrics for her musical, uh, Smoky Mountain Christmas. And so, yeah. But it was really weird why those songs were cut, I guess because of length of time, but the songs are really good and you can hear them. They're actually on Dolly Parton's Burlap and Satin album. But the movie ends with I mean, my favorite. I will Dolly always song. love you. Yes, which mm-hmm. did she, it, I was listening to it. She recorded it specifically for this movie, right? Like that, this version of it. Because yeah, doesn't... so she, so she recorded it, of course, originally in 1973. It hit right. number one in 1973, and when they were looking for a finale song, she was like, "Well, this perfectly fits Mona." and Ed Earl's relationship of she has to, you know, she can't be with him because he's a sheriff and she's a a madam of a whorehouse and people are against their relationship. James, James, when I tell you I was crying at the end of this movie because of that song and like, like, I saw Let me finish. Uh, You're fine. We got to finish this. So, uh, so she recorded it and it hit number one again. And of course, um, Whitney Houston recorded it in 1992. So Dolly Parton's the only artist in history to have uh, a number one three times with the same song. 
yes yeah so. yeah yeah, yeah now you can go ahead i mean i i saw the, I, i've seen clips of her singing it on oh crap what was the sh- she wrote it originally Porter wagner yes um and you see her singing it basically to him because that's like their that's when she left uh his show, his show correct right and then you watch her again and i have to give her a lot of credit because i mean she's not she doesn't really have a lot of acting credits to her name but this this movie is just what you said she's just so natural and so mm-hmm. into it and like you read all of the emotions on her face during this song and i mean it's beautiful <laughs> every time like I, I i like the whitney version but the original Donna i don't like one. the whitney version i don't uh, like the whitney version oh <laughs> No, because it's just so overdone and so overplayed and it really, like, it's quite agitating. I mean, it's beautiful, but I like Dolly Parton's original version. Um, And Elvis Presley actually, of course, wanted to record I Will Always Love You. And the day that he was supposed to record it, his manager called and said that he couldn't record it unless he had all the rights to it. And Dolly said no. Right. Yeah. And But that was um, was Colonel, uh, the Colonel. Tom Parker. Colonel Tom Parker. Um, so with this movie, so a question, a question I had about this movie, um, Melvin, the, the one that is Melvin P. Thorpe. Yeah. Yes. He, he's trying to shut down the whorehouse. Whorehouse. Um, do you think though he was, he was just sexually frustrated or was he like gay and not out yet? Like they don't really go into detail about his character as to why he's no going so hard um, on this well you know he's based on a truth person which was uh, marvin zindler who yes. was a real sensationalist no i mean there's hints of, in the movie of why he's going after the whorehouse he himself doesn't have a problem with it but he knows who his base is which are really super conservatives and he even says that he is a sensationalist and he goes out of things that he knows will sell so it's kind of like Trump. A lot of things Trump pushes, he really, truly doesn't believe, but he knows who his base is. Yeah. So Marvin, um, so Melvin P. Thorpe truly doesn't have a problem with the whorehouse, but he does it because he knows it's sensational and nobody else is doing it. As I was reading on the IMDb trivia that Marvin Zindler, the real person, mm-hmm. um, apparently liked the play, but he didn't like the film because really he was going after the ranches reported ties to organized crime and other shady business dealings but like they kind of wrote that out of the movie yeah um i think because they wanted him to appear more as a villain because in the film you're like why would he why does he care so much and so you hate him more versus because again they changed the plot with dolly and Bert being a relationship so you feel more sympathetically towards the characters because in the stage version you know there's just a sheriff and there's just a whorehouse madam they're not romantically linked nor do they really like have any personal connection with one another so if you you know the character um particular just knowing each other because they're in a small town right so um that's if you add the romantic relationship you have to have a foil so that's when they added a character who was the one that's responsible for tr- almost breaking them up, basically. I mean, I ha- I also have to say this mo- with this movie, I 
appreciated the sex positivity that this town had. I mean, it was probably also like, we don't talk about it. So we know it's there, but we don't talk about it kind of an attitude, but like also the whorehouse is like their best attraction, bringing in customers and they're okay with that. Mm -hmm. So kudos for the sex positivity and uh, a nice light of sex workers. Yeah, I mean, but it's, um, I don't know, it's complicated. The, um, you know, the prostitution sort of field has a complicated history in the States. So yes. um, it still does. So, I mean, uh, yeah. Um, I do have to, I do have to say, though, on a, on a side note, um, when we go to the TV station where Mel, uh, into Melvin's dressing room for a hot second, it looks exactly like the TV station in shock treatment. <laughs> like Probably they had, this, they had the same though. spiral staircase in red and uh, and everything. And I was just like, did we, did you pick shock treatment again? What's going on? No, those, so that one, you know, one was filmed in California, one was filmed in London. But yeah. I guess there's a, I guess they're both saying something about TV the sensationalism fiction. on TV. Yeah. So, I was a little confused because it seemed like there were some songs being performed in the world of the movie, but also there were songs that were like the breakout musical theater moments. Is this, am am I right in that reading or am I just looking too deep into it? I never caught onto that. I think it's just a big classic over the top Hollywood musical. Okay. Cause like when they, they talk about um, uh, when Melvin sings uh, on air, they they say that he's singing and everything. And so that was, is that like really the only in-universe song? Yeah, definitely. Because then the rest of that, like the Aggie song, which is, <laughs> was wild, but I loved it. Yeah. <laughs> like we don't get a lot of these song and dance movies these days no unfortunately not uh-uh like i mean i i really appreciated the choreography in this because it was very paying homage to like classic hollywood in a way mm-hmm. but but like being its own thing so like yeah. it, the all the choreography in the aggie song from like the locker room to the the chicken ranch to everything out every everything in between was just a delightful moment in my life <laughs> to watch now critics didn't really so i mean critics don't know anything but um dolly parton was praised for her role but critics didn't really like the film but it didn't matter because it was still a huge box office success because of dolly and because of burt reynolds wait they didn't like how they were or what their reputation they didn't like the film in general no they didn't like the film in general and just reviewers didn't they just didn't feel like it was i don't know they didn't feel like it was cohesive or coherent but it didn't matter because it still was a massive box office success and dolly parton was nominated for a golden globe for best actress wow Mm -hmm. wow i i i i mean this is it's 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 an interesting movie because like you get a little bit of a real world story with like the musical theaterness of it, but also Mm -hmm. it's, it's just like, 
a delight and yeah they spoiler they lose at the end which i was so angry about (laughs) i'm not gonna lie there's no reason there's no reason for it really to be shut down right right um and (laughs) what what is kind of funny and a little campy is the fact that all the windows are boarded up immediately like when they're yeah. leaving the house and it's just I don't know I was just like why do you have to lose like you could have had like an 11 o'clock you know turn around and fix it or something but I guess they're following the story the real yeah story and on a side note there is a sequel to the best little whorehouse in Texas stage musical called the best little whorehouse goes public which it only lasted for like, I have it bootleg on DVD. It's really bad quality because it was only, it only played for like four performances on Broadway. Oh, wow. Um, but it was terrible. Like it, it had, it's like, you know, Miss Mona is, I don't know, she's supposed to go and the, the government wants her to run a whorehouse in Las Vegas. Oh, and it's I'm- weird. It didn't really have any similarities between the original, but it only lasted four performances on Broadway. Mm, yeah, I could see that when you mentioned the government. <laughs> yeah, because it was like a whorehouse didn't pay its taxes. And so in order to make back its money and its investments, it gets Miss Mona out of retirement. And it's called The Best Little Whorehouse Goes Public, but um, it only lasted four performances. Oh, my God. Four or five. I'm not quite sure. Was the was the music interesting at least? No, uh-uh. Okay. <laughs> of, of course, Do- of course, Dolly wasn't involved. It was original writer Carol Hall of um, the original stage musical, but no, it wasn't good at all. Uh-uh. I can't, I don't see on like the, the show's Wikipedia page if they added um, I, I Will Always Love You. In- no, 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 no. So like I said, the stage musical has nothing to do with the film at all. So the film is completely separate entities. So it's not like, you know. Right, 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 right. There there would be no reason for it to be added then. Yeah, because Miss Mona and Earl are not lovers in the stage version. Interesting. And it looks like they cut a lot of Jules songs. Well, yeah, because they wanted to, because like I said, when they originally were starting, you know, fast tracking production of the film, it was going to follow the, the stage version, you know, Willie Nelson, Barbara Mandrell, et cetera. But when Dolly came on, she was like, I really want this to be a romance. And so that's when they completely shifted to only focus on Mona and Ed Earl and their relationship. Hence why sneaking around was added. I will always love you, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, Hard Candy Christmas has actually become a classic Dolly Christmas song, but it was written for the original stage version. But Dolly Parton actually, you know, took it to the top of the charts. Okay, because I was just like, I know Hard Candy Christmas. I thought, and I was surprised that it's part of the, that, um, uh, what's their name? <clears throat> Carol Hall wrote it for the show. I thought mm-hmm. it was another Dolly song. Um, well, it is now. Well, it is now. <laughs> and Carol Hall singing their way to the bank. Uh, sorry. Yep. Carol, yeah. Um, but how did you feel about Burt Reynolds singing? I mean, what? Well, that's not the only time he's ever done a musical. I mean, he was in All Dogs Go to Heaven, and I don't think his singing voice is actually bad. I think it's quite, I mean, he took singing lessons for the best little whorehouse in Texas. And if Texas, and if you actually watch the original clip of where Stallions run on YouTube, it's, his voice isn't bad at all. No, it's just like, 
he's he had in the version I watched where there is no where stallions run uh he has that duet with Dolly Parton and it's like like you're going against one of the best singers in the world right but where stallions run it's a really good song and I'm sad that it was cut but maybe one day the wheel directors cut blu-ray surely there should be I mean surely should there surely surely there should be is there a, an actual petition online that you know of no um I just know when the Blu-ray was released, a lot of fans were upset because it's basically the same version that's been released forever. Cause, but I don't know. I mean, I don't know why they cut the three songs. I wish they would, you know, put it back in, but maybe, you know, I don't know. I don't know if Universal sees a demand for it, but it would be nice to see the original three cut scenes Well, there's actually quite a couple of them that were cut besides Dolly, the ones Dolly wrote. Well, maybe maybe this episode will gain traction for for this to get a uh, director's cut. I hope so. Oh, God, me too. Uh, how much uh, in your dissertation is uh, Best Little Whorehouse in Texas? So I'm not going to focus so much on Dolly Parton's films. I do have a section. I'm actually writing a paper on the Best Little Whorehouse in Texas right now, but I'm more focused on the lyrics of Dolly Parton. So I'm focusing on Dolly Parton's um merits as a songwriter not so much focusing on her glamorous image because too many people at times focus on her image versus her you know her astounding talent of being an incredible and prolific songwriter oh my god and but i am talking about yeah and she is one of those people uh like prince was who just writes and writes and like mm-hmm. keeps going like there she probably has like a vault of thousands of songs that haven't been recorded yet or or, or bought mm-hmm. by an other artists because um she she's one of those people that is like always working <laughs> but um so yeah i do have a small section of the best of house in texas where i talk about that it's quite progressive in terms of women empowerment and there's like a you know how dolly always compared miss mona to mary magdalene and that that whole her attitude towards Mary Magdalene is actually featured in the film where um you know Dolly and Bert are at the lake and Dolly brings up Mary Magdalene talking about how she was one of most of Jesus's most beloved disciples and he didn't judge her so why do people have to judge her, judge you so there's a really interesting um you know there's an interesting connection there as well god i love this woman <laughs> i see yes, why so. i i see why she's your subject because like yes amazing talent amazing person when I found out that she was a um a producer of the tv show Buffy the Vampire Slayer I think I lost my shit because (laughs) I love that show and I love her now more she's great um where did I want to I don't I I I think we talked about everything I wanted to talk about is there anything else you want to mention before we get into sharp and flat um, no, I just think the film is really criminally underrated, but luckily it has gotten more traction and more recognition over the years, which shows that reviewers really don't know what they're talking about. Because I know I'm from Georgia, so it's a pretty big cult classic where I'm from, like um, in the South, you know, so, and Dolly's, you know, a prolific finger where I'm from. But I remember seeing the best little horse in Texas when I was like 12 and falling in love with it. But um I'm glad that it's, it's, you know, with Dolly's reemergence in her career, I'm glad that 
you know, the younger generations looking at her films as well, because Best Little Whorehouses, you know. I mean, on RuPaul's Drag Race, they recently had a Dolly Parton night, you know, where they all dress like Dolly Parton. And they uh, had a little uh, sort of nod to the Best Little Whorehouse in Texas. So, yep, oh it's God. gaining traction. I... The, I mean, the her costumes in this movie, when you, I mean, I before you said that she was influenced by Mae West, I could see, you could mm-hmm. see it with the looks and everything. Yes, because she, she had a couple of like, she actually had like three stipulations before she did the film. One, she wanted it to be a romance because she found the original, you know, plot quite boring, which you do read it and watch the original stage musical. It is very boring. There's no sort of like tension. It's just like, okay, all these people are fighting for a whorehouse. Great. You know, there's nothing at stake. So I get it was a brilliant career move and a brilliant move in terms of creativity to have there be something at stake. Because if you have an elected public official who is in love with the madam of a house of ill repute, that adds a whole new dimension and a whole new, a whole new level of sincerity and depth to the plot. I mean, it completely changes, and I think it corrects the mistakes of the stage musical. So I think she was brilliant in foreseeing that. Two, she wanted wanted her character to be very glamorous and over the top, and she wanted to be, she wanted to model it after Mae West. And the third was she wanted, her third stipulation was that she could write music for the film. Now this- She got all three of her films, all three of her wishes. This is supposed to be- 1982 right or like 1980s like this isn't supposed to be a, a time period the past movie? yeah no no because okay. you got to think about it uh the it's i mean the 80s and the 70s the early 80s and the late 70s there really is no distinction between right what is what right and, and especially when it comes to dolly parton because she's always big hair loud costumes loud everything so um and Jim Neighbors, who, of course, narrated the film, and he's in it as well, he doesn't ever, you know, Deputy Fred doesn't say when it took place. He's just telling you that it was not too long ago. Right. Because, like, we see uh, in the movie, like, the, the beginnings of the Chicken Ranch and, like, the history, because he narrates the history through it, and we see it through the 60s, but, like, it doesn't say if we're in... Because, what, the sh- I think the show, the, sh- the story of the original chicken ranches in 1976. So it's somewhere between 76 and 81, I, I would say, with my best guess. There's another scene There's another scene that was cut, unfortunately, that only like die, die hard fans know. It's uh, the Madam of the Whorehouse, the original one, uh, dies and passes, basically passes her baton on Dolly. And there's like a funeral scene. Um, oh, I don't know why it was cut. And one of the pictures, one of the costumes that Dolly was supposed to wear in it, she actually wears for one of her her albums. I believe it's the very best of Dolly in the eighties. But um, so she's in a black sort of shirt and a black cowboy hat with some rhinestones on it. But yeah, so I don't know why that scene was cut too. It just makes you there's too many weird decisions when it comes to, especially an inexperienced director like Colin Higgins was. I mean, he did a great, he did a great job on nine to five, but I think he was way over his head for the best little whorehouse. Can I have you clarify one thing for me? Cause I was a little confused. Yes. The, uh, the Aggies, are they, mm-hmm. is that a high school football team? No, it's university. Okay. I was just like, 
because I'm looking at these men and I get it, you know, they sometimes cast older to play younger for movies. And the <laughs> whole time I'm like, these are, are I, I was in shock if that, that those were supposed to be high school people. But now that you, <laughs> I must no, have blacked, college. I must have blacked out where they said university. Cause I was just like, these are high schoolers. What? <laughs> no, 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 no. It was a, it's college. It's a real, it's a real football team. Um, oh, one more thing. How do you think, because like, uh, like I said, that the people in the town didn't really have an opinion of the chicken ranch. But do you think that there are some scenes, though, that it seems like they look down upon it? The one the one that comes to mind is when uh, Dolly goes to donate money for the Little League team. And there's another uh, woman who comes in and she kind of like gives Dolly the side eye being like, oh, I don't trust you around here. Do you do you feel though that there may have been some people? No, not at all. No, not at all. And that scene, no, they're pretty nice to her. I mean, they're probably intimidated by her. I mean, because all their husbands go to her. So I don't think there's any sense. I mean, all the husbands in the town go to the whorehouse. I mean, it's, just, it's a national institution. It's a local institution. So I don't think there was any judgment on behalf of um, the townspeople at all. I think it was the bigger city that was the issue. People who didn't even live near there, you know? Right. I mean, and like, I think, I think what they're doing was fine. I mean, it's, it's a job, it's, it's work and everyone seems okay with it. So why, mm-hmm. why, why, why bother? Melvin, how dare you? Um, all right, let's get into Sharp and Flat, shall we? Sharp Flat. So in this section, we're going to highlight some moments, whether or not we talked about it. If we liked it, it's sharp. And if we didn't like it or thought it could change, it's flat. Uh, James, do you want to go first with your sharps? Yeah. Um, all the songs Dolly Parton provided for the film, I think, are sharps. Um, even the one that was cut down at the Chicken Ranch, which you can see in the original trailer. Um, I like Sneaking Around. I love that song. I think it's great. Um, I love hearing Dolly Parton and Burt Reynolds together. I love Hard Candy Christmas because it's become such a Christmas classic. And also, of course, you can't beat I Will Always Love You, which is, it's definitely, Dolly is so versatile that like her songs can fit anywhere. I mean, it really works as a big sweeping finale song. Um, but yeah, I think, and I think Dolly's Parton songs that she wrote for the film are superior than the songs that are in the film for the stage musical. I mean, if you listen to a, cow, uh, a gamble either way and where stallions run, which eventually came a cowboy's ways, um, they're superior to the songs that are in the stage musical. And I would, I would encourage you to listen to a gamble either way on her burlap and satin song, because it was written for Miss Mona. And it talks about how she got to the chicken ranch and what she had to do to get to the chicken ranch and talking about how she was basically a vagabond and she left home at 13 it's a really powerful song. So it gives her backstory in a way. It does. Yes. Why would they cut that? <laughs> because they didn't know what they, they were doing. Right. And yeah, I, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the, um, I'm sorry. The one song that you said that was cut that you can hear in the trailers, what is it called again? Down at the Chicken Ranch. It goes down at the ch- ch- Chicken Ranch when a lonely boy can find him. Yeah. Did she, did but it's she, in the trailer. Did she later yes. record that for an album? No. That was actually supposed to be in the film, um, but for whatever reason, again, they decided to cut it, but they liked it so much they kept it in the trailer. 
So there is there is no like official re- release now. Or, oh, what damn. Okay. <laughs> how how dare they? Um so I wrote uh again, I'm sharpening the sex positivity of the small town and the tastefulness of the costumes for the women who work in the whorehouse. Cause like Oh, I thought you were doing sharts or flats for the the music, but for the sharts. Oh no, for the part oh sorry. For the movie, for the whole movie. Dolly Parton and Burt Reynolds are the sharks. Yeah. The flats, the only flats I have is that they cut too many good things. Um, I loved Dolly's black corset that she wears in that scene with Burt Reynolds and she gives him the, the snap underwear. Yeah, sneaking around. Sneaking around, yeah. Um, I, I also loved Burt Reynolds telling off Melvin because that was just perfection <laughs> yes you fancified part he says yeah 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 um i also i also really enjoyed the song the sidestep i know it's not a dolly song but like mm-hmm. a lot of people like that song i just found it hilarious because that is politics like that, no i was about to say that is a politician name one politician that doesn't sidestep questions right and and my favorite is when the reporters are just like is he, are you getting anything? And they're like, he's saying words. <laughs> one, some, uh, one of them says, does it make sense? Not a damn thing. Not a damn thing. <laughs> um, I also sharped, I will always love you because like, of course. come on. And also her eye makeup in that song is amazing. I, it's, it's a very great song. It's so beautiful. Like, like I, I, I hope people know that she recorded it first. <laughs> I think like, more people know now because of Dolly's reemergence in her career. I think a lot of people prefer that version now. I mean, not to be offensive, but I mean, I'm not really big on singer songwriters, uh, singers who don't write their own music. Like Whitney Houston never wrote one song. So right. Dolly Parton, I prefer her version because a it comes from a place of of personal experience, but also I just find it far superior to any other recorded version. So Dolly's version is superior to any other recorded version. So um, I think more people are starting to pay attention. I mean, I live in the UK now and there was a commercial not long to like Christmas time that used Dolly Parton's I'll Always Love You. So yeah, um, I don't know. I love that version. That's the only version to me. <laughs> so Dolly, wait, Dolly wrote the music for the nine to five musical, correct? On Broadway, yeah. Yes. But there is no like other Dolly Parton musical using like the best of her songs yet. Well, she, this is not the only musical that she ever did. I mean, she was in this, of course. She was in um, A Smoky Mountain Christmas, which is a musical. She was in, she wrote the music for Straight Talk. So, I mean, Straight Talk is okay. not like a sung through musical, but it features her music in it widely. She was in a musical called Wild Texas Wind, which is very melodramatic. Uh, I love it. And then she was in Christmas on the Square, which is a which musical she wrote. And she, I've, yeah. I've done that. Yeah, we've I've covered that one. And but like um, what I'm saying is like her like there is no you know how like there's there's like the a jukebox musical. musical? Uh, yes. Not yet, but she's working on it. She's been I, trying to perfect it for years. I hope it, I, in my opinion, I hope that it has nothing to do with her life. I just hope that it's a jukebox musical that is like a different story that they make her songs work into it. I think she wants it to be more of a jukebox musical. Not, she's not vain or all, at all. I think she wants to showcase that anybody can make it, but also 
the Smoky Mountain heritage is really lost nowadays. And I'm so glad that Dollywood preserves that. I mean, there's a reason now why Dollywood is voted the most popular and most beloved theme park in America over Disney World is because it has not lost its roots. It, it takes you back to another time and it really preserves, you know, what made Dolly. James, let's go to Dollywood. Okay. <laughs> I love Dollywood. Just, just, just say that you're going there for research. <laughs> no, I am going to go there for research. And, you, and there's actually a section in her museum where you can see Miss Mona's dresses and the backdrop for the whorehouse. Oh my God. And of course the whorehouse itself was built for the movie, but it's been used in other movies like Rob Zombie's The House of a Thousand Corpses. Yes, that I, I that, that's amazing. That's an amazing fact that I read on the trivia page on IMDb. And I was like, oh God. Um, uh, so you said that your flat was basically them cutting. Too much. Yeah, too much. Too much. That's I, the only flat of the movie. I mean, I didn't, I, my flat is that the fact that they lose, because like, it's such a downer ending. Like, Well, the thing is, it says, you know, when um, Deputy Fred's narrating, he's like, you know, Melvin, the whorehouse closed down. Melvin P. Thorpe got he, what he wanted. Mona and uh, Ed Earl got married and they got what they wanted. And the people of Texas have got a new legend. So they got what they wanted. So at the end, you know, and Jewel, of course, moves from Texas up north. So I think in the end, everybody got what they wanted. Um, the most heartbreaking scene to me, besides I Will Always Love You, is Hard Candy Christmas when all the girls are getting on the bus. Oh That's God. sad to me. Because it's like, like, what did they do? They didn't do anything wrong. Right. And and it's so... Uh, uh, and she <laughs> hugs them all goodbye and some of them are so sad they can't even hug her they just like look at her or hold her hand I mean it's 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 really heart-wrenching and it's like that was pretty progressive for the 80s but the thing is it's like what I don't know I feel like as progressive as people want to say they are nowadays I mean back then they were a bit more progressive in terms of I mean, it wasn't controversial, really, to have a whorehouse in Texas. It didn't close down because of morality laws. It closed down, I think, because it didn't pay it its like back taxes. Taxes or, or, or some other thing. Because, like... Payoffs uh, or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I know the answer to this question, but would you add any of the songs to your life's playlist? I will always love you, of course. I mean, that has to be on everyone's life pl- life's playlist. Yes. Hard Candy Christmas. And I do love a little bit, a little bitty piss at Country Place. I love when you see her zoom in and you see her cleavage and it goes up to her. It's very Mae West. And uh, yeah, and I also love sneaking around. I often go, I like fancy little things, high heel shoes and diamond rings. I love that song. Uh, But something weird that I love is that (laughs) a lot of cult musicals have some sort of bizarre proprietor of a house the little the best little horse in texas has dolly as miss mona that's a proprietor of a horror house rocky horror picture show has frankenfurter which is the proprietor of his castle so there's lots of weird interesting over-the-top characters in these big over-the-top houses so i like that sort of connection as well um i don't know Best Little Horror House in Texas is my favorite musical. I mean, we could also connect Rocky Horror to this one and say that there's a maid in both houses. Yeah. Like 
Columbia is, no, Magenta is in a maid's costume, whether or not she's actually in disguise as a maid is another question, but in right. Whorehouse, there's Jewel, um, who- Yeah, and you could dig down and find even more connections, I'm sure. Probably, um, yeah. Yeah, but I do love this film, and I think it's my favorite musical film, and I'm glad that it's getting some well, emergence and popularity. Second to shock treatment, I'm assuming. No, 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 no. Best Warehouse in Texas is my favorite musical, period. <gasps> I won't yes. tell shock treatment. <laughs> no, shock treatment is a close, and not even a close second. Shock treatment is second, but Best Little Whorehouse in Texas cakes the cake for me because it's so original. Shock treatment's original as well, but I mean, it didn't really take place in our world, but it's happening right now. Shock treatment is definitely happening right now, but the fact that they took a real life scenario of a real whorehouse added Dolly Parton and Burt Reynolds just makes it like you can't it's so American it's so American <laughs> I mean if you add Dolly Parton to anything I think it's just going to be amazing it is I just love this film and I think it's criminally underrated and I'm still holding out hope for that they put a lot of these scenes back into the film because it makes it just I mean where Stallions Run was supposed to be Burt's version of I Will Always Love You because there's that scene that's really heart-wrenching and very powerfully acted in the film where he goes, she goes, you're nothing but a chicken shit sheriff in a chicken shit town. And he's like, you may be right, but it's a whole lot better than being a whore. You know what I'm talking mm-hmm. about? And they yes. fight. Yeah, they're, they're big well, blow when, up. Yeah. Yeah. Where she was crying and she turns around. That's when his song where Stallions Run comes in and it's talking about, you know, maybe she's right. You know, maybe I won't be something, you know. And he's he's coming to terms with like, he's always, he plays dress up, that he's basically a little boy pretending to be a man. And then of course, the next, very next song after that's I Will Always Love You. So I'm like, it didn't make sense to cut it. Oh my God. I know it's. That is amazing. And it's so upsetting. And when we're done recording this episode, I will be listening to that song. Um, And then you can listen to it on her album called A Cowboy's Ways. Well, which one should I listen to Bert's version first or her? Yes, 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 yes. Okay. And it's on YouTube. It's pretty bad quality because like I said, when they aired it on TV, they cut so much that they actually didn't have enough runtime. So they <laughs> added the songs back in in order to fill up the TV, but it only had been shown like twice ever. So this is probably from somebody's VHS copy back of in the them 1980s. It. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I answered, but I, uh, I would add, I would listen to this whole album. I mean, it was great music. Like, I, say what you will about the music. I thought I I had a great time listening to it. Um, I'm the I and I'm not really like a country e person, country esque person. So. I'm ending this right now. <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm just joking. I'm southern, so it's part of my blood. So. Uh, well, I mean, like, I do like, I'm just I do like Dolly's discography that I've listened to, but like the other, the songs that were from the stage version that they put in this, I thought was entertaining. And I, yeah. And that was another um, way that Dolly justified being this movie. Oh, sorry. I said, muted my microphone. Yeah. <laughs> she said the music that is in this movie is more me and more what I've been wanting to do than anything recently. So she's very country and very Western, but in you know, late seventies and early eighties, Dolly had to go pop and commercial in order to like sell more records. 
but she's like the music in Horror House more closely resembles the type of music she wants to make than what she was making at the time. Like, I, I like what you said earlier about her wanting to do movies where she can be herself, basically, because yep. like that that's like a good market. And the, it, this is like the perfect Absolutely. movie for her. And it was. I, I can't wait to now go through her filmography <laughs> to see other things. You're making me like a Dolly, a Dolly fan. More, more of a Dolly fan, yeah. And I think Dolly and Miss Mona are really um, sort of similar in that people misunderstand both of them for different reasons. And I think if, once you get to know Dolly and Mona, you know that there's much more depth than what people see. You know, Mona has a lot of depth in the film. You know, people are either, what does she say? She says she worked her way from port up to outcast. Yes. So you, she might, so that's a really powerful, I think. And um, like, I kind of, I kind of like though too that like, I don't know if they actually wrote the lines or if maybe she suggested these lines, but like Dolly kind of made fun of herself. Like, they, yeah. Like talking about how big her boobs are and everything. Yeah, she's, he's like, cause she says she wanted to be a ballerina and Bert said, why don't she start jumping up right now? She said, me jumping up right up and down. I black both my eyes. Yeah. So again, <laughs> yeah, so, it's her playing herself. Right. Uh, James, this is, it's always lovely to have you on <laughs> and talk, especially for talking about Dolly Parton. Like we can go on for hours, I guess, but we have to come to an end. Uh, is there anything you would like to plug or promote? Uh, no, just continue looking at cult musicals. I've been, MIA for a bit that I'm I guess I'm having a reemergence. <laughs> and you shall be working with me soon, hopefully, where we discuss Warhouse again in a different and, perspective. And maybe other ones. Who knows? <laughs> Absolutely. God knows. I, there's Voyage of the Rock Aliens. You're the only one interested. I love that movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's so it's a cult musical that I've had to watch a couple of times in order to be like, I'm like, what? Like what and it's filmed in georgia my hometown so i'm like what it was filmed in georgia <laughs> i didn't even know my that. I, hometown if you if you listen uh i did i i did it not that long ago but like um the writer that well, the screenwriter of it like the original draft of it was like um influenced by changing channels and you'll see like a space movie and you change channels and it's a creature feature and you change channels it's and it's a musical. So that's, I mean, yeah, you have that inspiration of it. You have that unaffiliated beginning of music video with Jermaine Jackson and Piazza door and it has nothing to do with a movie whatsoever. Ah. That's <laughs> it's, it's crazy, but we'll have to discuss that. I mean, oh, you're the only we, one interested in it. Can we, can we actually announce your podcast? Well, I don't want to say a podcast. I just want to talk to other, because I've already reviewed like 260 movies and it's not technically a podcast. I'm not getting in your territory. I just want to have interviews with people who appreciate the weird, obscure musicals that I, and but I want different perspectives. Not so much, just in terms of like, why do you think it's made an impact? Um, what do you think it's impacts on? Why do you think it has uh, got a cult following? Uh, what do you think are... Um, for instance, what do you think the future of this particular cult musical is? Do you think it will actually get a better cult following? Does it, is it, um, what are the fans like? Because every particular cult musical's fans are completely different. Now, this movie, Best Little Whorehouse, actually is big with Southerners, but it's also really big with gays. 
Yeah. Um, whereas Rocky Horse, you know, it's it's sort of fan base is really diverse. Where Shock Treatments is diverse as well. But um, Hedwig, you know, they call them um, Headheads or something like that. And Phantom of the Paradise has its own particular sub sub cult. And so it's just interesting to seek figure out why certain people gravitate towards certain cult musicals and what kind of community it's built within that particular cult universe. And where can the good people see your reviews? And then- it's just going to be posted on there. It's just going to be like video, just video ah. interviews. Not It's not anything formal. It's just I want to get into the mind of some of these cults. Cults? <laughs> it's not like I'm interviewing Charles Manson. But um, yeah, <laughs> but these cult fans, I just want to see what makes them gravitate gravitate towards certain cult musicals and why they resonate with it and what the instagram handle is cult musicals at cult musicals nice uh and if you want to get in touch with me and like i don't know say why you love dolly parton you can you can email me because she's i mean yes she is she she is god uh (laughs) uh well okay so you said that uh, cult uh, the, fo- the people who follow cult musicals have like their own name. What? Yeah. Uh, okay. So this is a call out to you, the listener. What would your you name the people who love the best little whorehouse in Texas? What would their cult name be? Uh, whores. Whore. Beside yeah, whores. <laughs> but like that's that's a real word. We want something fun. Uh, you can. <laughs> Email me your suggestions at butterside. <gasps> you okay? The chicken ranchers. Oh, I do you. The chicken ranchers is it is. Uh, you can <laughs> e- But if you want to get in touch, you can email me at buttersongpod at gmail.com. I'm also on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok sometimes at buttersongpod. Um, tell me your thoughts on this movie. Like, um, do you. Oh, has anyone have you seen the stage show let me know uh and if you want to be part of next episode's conversation we're going to be talking about postcards from the edge Hmm. i'm intrigued uh (laughs) james as always thank you so much for coming on and sharing sharing your wealth of knowledge on god (laughs) i will always love you (laughs) oh all right well Bye for now, everyone. Bye. Special thanks to Justin Johnson for creating the podcast's artwork and to Nick Bombasino for composing the theme song and the jingles in this podcast. And thank you to CastBox for hosting this podcast. Bye again, everyone, and have a musical day.